0: We have with us today Sarah Martin, PA and yoga therapist, here to give us some really nice pearls about how she has sort of connected and integrated kind of both sides of these worlds.
1: This is Pain Refrain.
0: Well, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Pain Reframed. I'm Jeff Moore, and I'm here with my colleague and friend, Dr. Tim Flynn. Sarah Martin is taking individuals that are dealing with pain, maybe more in that traditional medical model, and then... Bringing yoga to them in group settings, individual settings. And she gives some amazing tips over the episode about, you know, different kinds of breath work and different postures to focus on, in all sorts of ways that we can be trained and integrate this type of thinking into chronic pain care. So, without further ado, from Minnesota, Sarah Martin.
1: Well, we are so excited to have Sarah Martin on the show today. And, Sarah, would you mind giving the listeners a little bit of history about, you know, kind of your journey, both in the medical side and and what we often say, perhaps more Eastern medicine side of healthcare.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm my name is Sarah Martin. I'm a physician assistant, and I'm also a certified yoga therapist. And I'm currently in clinic. It's called TRIA, and it's a orthopedic outpatient center as well as an ambulatory surgery center in Bloomington, Minnesota. It's a suburb that's just south of Minneapolis. And I've been there since I graduated from PA school, actually. And when I first started, I was hired as an upper extremity specialist. And so my main focus was orthopedics and surgery. So I worked in the clinic and saw all sorts of upper extremity injuries and then would also be in the OR a couple days a week. And then over time, that sort of morphed as I became more into the holistic Eastern side and started to dive into yoga. And so I got my yoga instructor certification. And then from there, just went into a yoga therapy program and really saw the use that I could use in my clinic, but also just wanted to reach out to more people who didn't have access to kind of what we know as Western yoga. So then over time, it's just really morphed. And now I'm probably about 80% of my practice is Working with people one-on-one, a lot of them had persistent pain, fibromyalgia, anxiety, depression. Many people are sent to me from the pain clinic that is at our our site. I work with them on pain education, yoga therapy for their own practice, but then working to try to get them into yoga therapy classes. We offer those uh, throughout the week now, too. So I still do some upper extremity orthopedics about 20% of my clinic, which is also really nice because I can do the pain neuroscience in my acute care as well. And then I'm able to work more on the the chronic side of it to actually be with people. And so over time, we've just developed a program where we now have um, myself working with people, a healing touch nurse. Acupuncture is now in our clinic, which is amazing. And then we have our, our yoga therapy classes that we offer throughout the week, too.
1: That's exciting, Sarah. You know, as I'm hearing you speak, I, I'm in, always intrigued where as we've entered this kind of weird space we are in healthcare, And, you know, we obviously on this program talk a lot about the... Overutilization of imaging drugs and surgery. How are you able to, you know, when patients have failed a lot, they probably have failed a lot of traditional medicine by the time they enter your chronic pain pathway. Can you tell us a little bit about how that journey of reframing their experience starts?
2: Yeah, fortunately, we do have at my clinic, we have a handful of physical therapists and hand therapists who are on the same page with the pain neuroscience, and so it's great if I'm able to coordinate with them as well, and be seeing the people. Our pain clinic, the first line, so the providers that I work with there, we have a couple of physicians and a nurse practitioners. There's an addiction specialist. They do a great job as a first line of already starting that conversation, of saying, "Hey, this is what's going on," and we have a workbook, and so they're already giving that information to people, and then they'll say. Okay, we want you to, you know, get in with pain psych, get in with our physical therapist who specializes in the pain neuroscience. We want you to see Sarah, you know, healing touch. And so once they get to us, we are saying the same thing, which is so helpful. Yeah. And so if, you know, they see the physical therapist and and he says something and then I'm seeing them, you know, the week after or even right after the visit. And we might say it a little bit differently, but it's the same it's the same theme. It's the same message. And so you can just see light bulbs going off so much more readily than if, if I'm the only one that's seeing them and they're looking at me and like, well, but you know, my surgeon said that the MRI shows this and this and this and I'm injured and I'm, you know, not healing. If it's just me working with them, it's, you know, kind of trying to tease out how do I frame this in a way that, you know, isn't, <laughs> isn't necessarily saying, well you know everything you believe is totally wrong but hey what are some other ways that we can look at this and i try to bring it back to their experience of anytime i hear them say something like well i had a stressful conversation with my friend and i really noticed that my my pain went up i grab onto that and mm-hmm. i'm like let's talk more about that you know tell me more about you know, what you noticed and and what you think that was about so fortunately i work with some great people that I think the more people hear it and even in a little bit different way that really helps. And then for those people who I may be the only person that they're really working with, it just it can take time and just a lot of different angles and trying to get them to experience different things.
1: Well that that sounds cool, Sarah. I mean what I, I like you saying, I mean clearly there's a collaborative team of folks that once they enter this persistent pain clinic that you have, that there's a consistent message and everybody's pulling in the same direction. And I think you said you worked out of an orthopedic, under a larger orthopedic center umbrella. Is that correct?
2: We work for a very large group, health partners in Park Nicolette. So that's a lot of the whole metropolitan area. And then with mm-hmm. my clinic at the orthopedics, you know, we're, we're under them, but we, we really do a lot of our own thing too. So we have the pain clinic there. It's an orthopedic center, you know, solely devoted to that and an ambulatory surgery center as well. But then the pain clinic is that portion of it too. So definitely that is a big, with the pain clinic, we're kind of all on board and we're on the same page, but that is an initiative that I've been working on. And I know some others have as well of trying to continue to get that education out to the surgeons, the other providers, you I know, mean, we have a lot of PAs on our staff who see patients as well. And so slowly but surely, we're trying to even get that education out to them of if this is an acute injury and somebody comes in, how can we all start to get that language similar? But I mean, you know how it goes. Yeah. It's such a, it's a very slow process. And and I remember when I first started practicing and I had no education on pain and and persistent pain and the pain neuroscience, it was hard enough to keep up with my specialty in terms of my continuing education credits and what's the, the most up-to-date on fracture care. And so it is, it's tricky to find that time to educate yourself on something new that I never got in PA school. And I know that many of the people I work with didn't either in their schooling too. So so we're trying to take the opportunity for meetings. Um, we have every week there's a like a grand rounds where somebody will do a presentation or a talk. And so I've done a handful of those and as well as some of the other people that I collaborate with, too. So we're just trying to slowly get the word out and the message out of trying to get everybody on that same page of you know reframing that conversation around pain.
1: That's exciting to hear that, you know, not only on the individual level, but you guys are are pushing it upstream. And, you know, it's when all of the different providers begin to have champions, you know, that kind of say, hey, there's a different way to look at this. And I think it's interesting. I don't know how much you've used some of your successes as patients, as really advocates to give that message back to some of their providers that they've seen along the way. You know, what if? You know, I started here. What if? Not in, not in a judgmental way, I because mean, that never works. But, you know, just those patient stories that say, you know, there's a new path forward. I'm just wondering if you guys have thought about that as well.
2: Yeah, I always do encourage any time that I see someone that's from a new provider or someone that I don't know as well, I do encourage them to, because a lot of people will say, this is such a great program. I wish I would have had this five years ago or however many months ago. And I do, I just encourage them, I'm like, make sure you're telling all of your providers that this is a, a really good thing that we need to keep moving towards. And then in terms of, we do have a couple of patient stories that have we even had our the filming crew who was able to interview them. And that was really great too, of just being able to get that patient perspective so that the people who see it can acknowledge, oh yeah, this, is, this was really significantly helpful for this person. So we're hoping to definitely do more of that and we have some outcomes that we're trying to collect as well, which will be good just to be able to say, hey, here's the, when somebody comes into the program, this is their experience after they've been working with us for a period of time and definitely trying to get more of those testimonials out because that is, that is so powerful. When I hear that feedback, it's like, okay, yes, let's make sure we're, we're telling the people who could get you here sooner too. So. We definitely, we're working on that right now. The outcomes we just started literally in the last couple of months. So I'm excited to see how those turn out. You
0: know, when it comes to something like like yoga that can be perceived as being, you know, a little bit maybe out there, especially... Um, I don't want to broad brush the Midwest, but I think sometimes, you know, in that region, I'm from Michigan and actually my wife is a certified yoga teacher and she had a clinic in Michigan and I was practicing and I would bring that idea up to folks of looking at going that direction. And oftentimes they were a little bit standoffish just because they had their preconceptions. I'm curious how you kind of frame that conversation of, you know, what do you think about going this route? I mean, do you have sort of a, of a way you go about discussing, you know, is it more about the philosophy of, of yoga or is it more about the movement component? Is it individualized? I'd love to hear more about how you initiate that conversation.
2: Yeah. Cause I do think that that is something so often people will come in and see me and they'll say, well, I just had the surgery or, you know, I've had this injury and whoever I saw, my provider said absolutely no yoga. And for me, a lot of that is just a misunderstanding about what yoga is and can be. And so I try to, especially with yoga therapy, you know, with yoga therapy, it's really specifically taking the practices, the different tools of yoga, which are so, there's so many of them, and applying that, especially in an individual setting. What yoga has become a little bit in the West, it's very movement-based and even very, you know, athletic and physical. So most people they, that's what they think of yoga. They think we're doing headstands and <laughs> trying to put our foot behind the head. And so, so many people will come in and just say, "Well, there's no way I can do yoga." And that's where I love my role because I want to explain to them, and I want them to have an experience of it. Of honestly, if you are focused on your breath, you are starting your yoga practice. Like that—that that is yoga—and really trying to find that more mind-body union through that regulation of the autonomic nervous system with the breath and then let's build up the mindfulness and then add in movement but when I work with people one-on-one sometimes they have no idea we're doing yoga you know this was somebody I saw the other day (laughs) we did almost a full practice this is breathing imagery you know just a very calming and we did some movement but it was more you know it was her inhaling and exhaling just as she opened and spread her fingers and then gently drew them into a fist and afterwards, she sat up and she's like, were we doing yoga? <laughs> I said, we were. <laughs> so a lot of it is, once it's almost that reframing of what yoga is so that people can get that education of, it's not just the asana or the, the physical postures. So many amazing tools to it. You know, first and foremost, the breathing, you know, regulating the breathing. And then mm-hmm. drawing in, you know, postures of the hand. I mean, meditation is a fundamental part of can be a fundamental part of a yoga practice too. I try to, you know, I'm individualizing it for each person. And then I've definitely tried to educate my colleagues as well so that literally it does not matter. I mean, everybody can do yoga. It does not matter if you are one hour post op from a major surgery, you can do yoga because we can tailor it to those things. The modifications are, you know, really focused on the breath and just movement of the toes or the fingers. And so it is just trying to educate, especially the people in my clinic or the providers in my clinic to this is what I'm doing with people. And, you know, this Mm -hmm. is still the application of yoga.
1: It goes to a lot of even what we talk about the language of pain that the power of language, you know, if we use a yoga term for a pose, it somehow will be perceived one way versus if we use a, a different term for it it may be perceived another way you know shavasana versus you know calming laying down on your back and where I'm going with this is it's you know and the same thing with meditation and breath work based on where someone is at you know we can draw them into these powerful postures mindfulness and breathing and I do think often our language as you're describing very well is what sometimes we we lack. And it would be interesting to hear your thoughts on creating a new language around yoga that might fit more into at least some of those in our society that are a little less open to those. So just, just curious on your thoughts.
2: Yeah, so sometimes I even think of myself as a translator where I really want to speak the language to whoever is in front of me. And for some people, that definitely is, I'm I'm not going to use Sanskrit terms or even the way that I say things. So in terms of like breath, for example, so in yoga, we call it pranayama, but I don't use that term with most people unless they've been exposed to that type of a practice. So I will, I talk about it in the terms of, of breath work or even just when it comes to like meditation. For some people, that term really can turn them off and they think that that is a little out there. and so. I'll come at it from a more scientific standpoint. Of okay, well, if we can find something, we can focus our attention on just to help our thoughts calm and help the nervous system regulate. And so, definitely, each person is very different in terms of their exposure to yoga or their view of it. And and that can be for some people as well. There can you know they can think there would be a religious affiliation, and they may not be as open to it as well. There isn't with yoga. And so I definitely use that scientific more of the scientific course with it then too. And even when I'm teaching my classes, so I teach small group classes for people who have persistent pain and, and injury or recovering from surgery. And same thing, I just, I try to keep it simple. And, you know, a lot of the terms that I use, I want them to be able to understand that, you know, the directions that I'm giving and um, continuing to come back to the breath. So I definitely agree. I think the language if you're in a yoga studio versus, you know, if you would come to a class at TRIA or see me one-on-one, it's definitely much more personalized to just where people are at and what they're comfortable with and and really just what they understand. I don't want anyone to leave thinking like, what was what was she yeah. saying? What were all of those words? So I do. I try to draw in that, you know, even that scientific element of it as well, or even just with the pain of science, you know, mixing that in too, so.
0: Well, thanks so much for listening, everybody. We hope you're enjoying the show. If you're a PT or a physician or a chiropractor, or an allied healthcare professional who really wants to dive into this stuff and increase your ability to come alongside folks who are dealing with persistent pain or, or hoping that you can prevent folks from falling down into that trap, please check out International Spine and Pain Institute. They sponsor all of our podcasts and we sure do appreciate that. ISPinstitute.com is their website. They have a great six-month certification, numerous weekend courses, online courses, so truly a uh, best. In-class resource to increase your skill set to work with what can be a very challenging but also a very rewarding population. Now, without further ado, back to the show. Many episodes of Pain Reframed, you know, a lot of discussion comes back to breathing, and and for good reason. I think that we know it's one of those, you know, shortcuts into the autonomic nervous system where we can really kind of get our bearings again. And I guess everybody has a different way of going about explaining good breathing to someone. And I'm curious for those individuals like you who have a, a wealth of experience and in, in tap into this daily, are there certain cues that you give that you just feel like really work for most people that maybe all clinicians who are listening to this and trying to get better at working with folks who are in that sympathetic overdrive state and you know they don't have a yoga certification but they would love to incorporate some of these principles, are, are there a few gems that you might drop on us?
2: When I'm walking somebody through the breathing and you know I have them lay down, I definitely always have everybody lay down okay. to, to experience the breath. And the main reason for that is just, you know, when you're in that soon pipe position, you can really, your abdominal muscles can be completely relaxed. And it's less likely that people are going to kind of dominate with the chest and, and use more of those accessory muscles. So anytime that I'm teaching it for the first time to someone, unless someone tells me my pain is awful laying down, then I, then I wouldn't do it. But for most people, it's lying. I start with them lying down. And I have them bend their knees and just have their feet down on the bed. And so I find that that position, when I explain it to people, I recommend practicing in that position. And then later, I will teach them a a little bit different way of sitting or standing and doing breath. But I want them to actually practice it to really get nice autonomic nervous system regulation in that supine position. If somebody's doing it seated, it seems much harder for them to grasp it from the beginning. So I always start lying down. I always start with them just having observe other senses, so like their sounds in the room, the, you know, what they feel with their body lying on the bed, and then as they tune into their breath, uh, I usually just say words like instead of you know, okay, take a take a deep breath. I say you know, allow the breath to deepen. Because a lot of times I do find that people will try to almost strain to get a deeper breath. So then they're creating more tension. So I'll say allow your breath to deepen. And I usually cue to have them start with the focus on the exhale of, okay, and just let your exhale get a little longer, a little slower, and see if you can get to that point where you just feel like you're releasing the air. So then the inhale seems to come easier because it's more of that the air is just coming in rather than they have to take a deep inhale. So I use terms like calm, smooth breath, you know, a little, just a little deeper. And then if I find that they're having some difficulty not including the chest, I'll have them bring one hand to their belly and one hand to the chest. And that really gives people that good feedback of then they can start to feel, oh, wow, my chest is, the hand on my chest is going up and down. So I just cue them, try to keep the hand on your chest relatively still and focus on the hand rising and falling on the belly. And so I would say a lot of times those series of cues, most people, they can start to regulate it on their own. You know, sometimes I'll use those terms of let the, the breath feel like a wave. If I can really tell that they're still dominant in the chest, I often will use a sandbag so I'll put something weighted on their belly and we have sand, I have sandbags in the room that I work in. And so by placing the sandbag on the belly, it's so, it's amazing how, you know, just that feedback, they can, it's almost like lifting weights, right? You can feel, you can feel that weighted. So then they can really focus on just getting the belly to rise and fall. So I find that that's really helpful too.
0: Very cool. Little PNF on the belly. I love it. Moving further in in this, we've never never dabbled in on pain reframe. We talk about breath all the time. And I think most practitioners are reasonably comfortable giving that a shot with their patients saying, hey, let's look at your breathing and there could be a lot of value here. What about if we're not necessarily worried about an orthopedic injury? It's not a specific pain or something we're trying to cure from a musculoskeletal perspective. It really is more of a chronic ongoing hypersensitive nervous system globally that we're treating. Are there a few postures that you think that, you know, even folks without extensive training might be able to coach their patients through? that carry a lot of value to calm things down. And I know that I'm aware that, you know, there's plenty of postures that are kind of built to, you know, develop heat and and develop energy and some that are certainly the other direction to calm things down and bring things more introspective. Are there some postures you would recommend to sort of calm down the nervous system that, that wouldn't be overly complex for clinicians to walk folks through?
2: Yeah, definitely any type of restorative posture too. So, you know, restorative yoga. Is really where you're just getting people into positions that are, they're completely supported and that they have bolsters, pillows, blocks, blankets, whatever they need. You know, even if you searched, did a Google search for restorative yoga, you could see those different postures, but even sometimes just those positions I'll put people in. It's really a posture where you're not doing anything. You're just lying there and being supported. That can be very, very calming for the nervous system, whether it be a common one is legs up the wall where the modification I do for people would be more like either they're on, if they can get onto the floor, they're on the floor with their legs, even up on a chair or like the couch, that's a, can be a lovely posture. Uh, There's another one, there's a bolster or pillows and they're kind of on a, a, it's like a recliner almost. And then they can have a bolster underneath their knees and then something under their arms. So even just Googling some restorative postures I think is, great for the nervous system. And then when people are there, they can practice their diaphragmatic breathing. But a lot of what I start, because I want to get people moving a little bit. And so for so many of my people, they have such a fear of movement that even just doing something really simple. So maybe I would start with the toes or the ankles and I'd have them get into their rhythm of breath. I tell them, okay, now you have your pace for your breath. Keep your breath smooth. And let the breath be the guide, right? So, however long your breath is, you're going to match your movement to your breath, and you want to keep the movement as smooth as the breath. And so, just even starting with, you can go up the body joint by joint, especially if they're, you know, I start with the joints that feel okay and that don't produce fear. So, just even starting with the ankles of, you know, inhale and then draw your toes back towards your shins, and as you exhale draw your toes down towards the floor. By them doing that movement, you can see their whole body become much more calm because they're doing this movement that's not producing pain, that they can really have this focus on a calm breath and a calm movement. So I'll start with the toes or then go to the ankles, you know, knees, depending on if the knees feel safe for them. And then even with the hips, you could do the toes pointing in towards each other and then away from each other. And then working with fingers, so I do a lot of spread your fingers and then gently draw them in, bending the elbow, lifting up the arm. So you can really easily, you know, it's easy to remember as well because you're just kind of going joint by joint, but doing it in a way where you're giving them permission to set the pace, you know, and keep coming back to keeping them calm. But then also if if it is something that is eliciting a pain response, okay. Well, let's see if we can get all of your tension low, make sure your your breath and your body are calm, know that this movement is safe and, and you're not doing harm, but then give them that permission for, do they continue that or do they move on to something else? So I would say even just moving up joint by joint can give people confidence to move, but also really get them into that you know, just a calmer
0: state. Very cool. And then you mentioned that you're doing like some smaller group classes. Is is that just because you've got a, a number of folks in demand and in, in doing groups is, is more economical and, and more logical? Or is there something about kind of that social element? Are you tapping into, you know, this idea of doing it with peers and feeling connected? Um, is that part of it? Or is it really just more that it makes more sense for the flow of the clinic? You
2: know, I actually started with doing classes. So even before I was doing the work in the clinic, I started teaching yoga classes to employees. And then over time, as time went on, it was like, oh, wow, let's offer this to patients too because more and more people were coming from outside of the clinic. And so then to offer it to patients, really the goal was definitely getting people access because a couple of people that would come in would even say, I feel very confident coming to an orthopedic center for yoga because I have this injury or I have this surgery or I have this chronic pain versus going to, you know, a yoga studio where they didn't necessarily know much about yoga and or much about the teacher. So part of it was we wanted to even create a place that felt safe for people to come to who had no experience with yoga. Most of the people that come to the classes have never done yoga before or absolute beginners. That community is such a, an amazing aspect of it too so there's with the group of of women we now have four yoga therapists who teach classes throughout the week so I'm just teaching one night a week now I was teaching more before but with the group that I've been teaching there's a couple of people in the class who have been coming for four or five years and so they know each other one time we came in and one of the women hadn't come in a while and so everyone was like, where, where is she? What's going on? And so one of the women called her. <laughs> what are you doing? Are you okay? <laughs> so just even that element of it too, you know, is, is really great and so it's always such a, a joy to see them and then new people have come in and they're, it's just a really welcoming group too. So, I mean, I remember when I first started doing yoga and walking into a yoga class and you don't know anybody and it's like, where do I sit? What do, what do I do? And you know, how do I look? And this group is just very inclusive. So people come in. It's like, Oh, is this your first time? Well, great. Well, you know, here's the stuff over here. Grab this and, and nice. put your mat down. So many people have said they came back because they felt they didn't feel threatened. You know, they felt very, very included and very comfortable. So that's another really big part. I definitely think that social aspect, kind of the community and then also being able to, to know or see like, oh, there's other people that are, you know, trying yoga for the first time and, you know, I'm not the only one and, um, or they have an injury and a couple of the women that had like a total knee replacement or total hip replacement, you know, when they first came into the class, they could see these other people who had had this and were just doing everything, you know, they, with no issues. So I think that's also a really, a part I really like about it too is it can be really encouraging for someone that comes in. To see like oh well that person has a similar thing going on and you know so I can get through this so that that part has been really great as well
0: for those clinicians who are listening saying like this really sounds like something I'd like to do more of you know I'm feeling like I'm a bit stuck with these folks who are having symptoms everywhere and are clearly kind of wound up you know from a nervous system perspective I'd love to learn more about this I mean would your recommendation be Well, go do a ton of yoga, you know, go to a bunch of different yoga classes and and learn a wide variety of, of different types of yoga and kind of assimilate that into what you're doing. Or do you think that getting some actual targeted training is the direction? How would you advise those folks?
2: Well, definitely there's more and more yoga therapists that are being trained and are certified now. So the International Association of Yoga Therapists came up with standards so that trying to have yoga therapy be more included in healthcare. I mean, that's also a great place to look to just for resources of local yoga therapists as well, because they may have good resources as to what are some of the yoga studios that are offering workshops, seminars, training. So sometimes, like, for, for example, this weekend, I'm leading a meditation and mindfulness training at a local yoga studio. So that could be something like a resource that a clinician could look into and say, oh, hey, I think maybe I'll go go check that out. I know there's a lot of shorter training, such as like a restorative yoga. So that's a great training for any clinician to get. And that can be done in local yoga studio too. So looking into some of those local resources, I think, either through the International Association of Yoga Therapists and to try to, you know, make a connection so that you can start getting some of that information can be really helpful. Or just even checking in with the local yoga studio and, and looking for some of those offerings of weekend workshops. We We have a, awesome community here in the Twin Cities of many yoga studios who are doing really great work, even just with the Veterans Project, you know, PTSD and working in domestic shelters, things like that. So even reaching out to the yoga studios, I think, can be can be really helpful. And there is a lot of, you know, the trainings now to do a yoga certification. You know, it's at least a 200 hour program and then a yoga therapy Is 800 hours more. So that's definitely a great route to go if you're really into it. But I think that you can even start to sprinkle in a lot of these little things just by some of the shorter seminars or trainings or going to some of these websites like the IAYT and just looking for the online resources as well as little tips and cues that you can get to, to bring into your practice.
0: Perfect. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. I mean, really, really appreciate it. I, I know I'm going to run and throw a sandbag on my belly cause I'm curious now. To see if it, know. Know. it
2: it actually is. It is amazing.
0: It's yeah. almost like one of
2: you know, one of those things where you're like lifting weights and it's every, it's so hard. And then you go and try to, you know, the next couple of days you go to try to like lift up a glass and it's like, Oh wow. You just feel stronger the sandbag is, is really amazing, and that
0: yep. does work really well with people. So That's awesome. Sarah, yeah. do, you, do you mind yeah. leaving your calling card for the listeners? If, if they want to track you, can you leave maybe your website or your social media information, email, whatever you're comfortable dropping?
2: Yeah, so the website of the place that I work at is TRIA.com, T-R-I-A.com, and that has information on our integrative health services, the visits I do, the yoga therapy classes. There's a link as well to be able to actually sign up for yoga therapy classes on there. My personal website is sacredhealingyoga.net. And so that's just information on me. My visits kind of has a little bit of information about trainings or different things that I may be doing at the time. And then my email address is sacredhealingyoga at gmail.com. So definitely love to hear from people and have a two and a half year old. So sometimes I don't respond within (laughs) a day or two, but I do get back to people.
0: Awesome. Well, Sarah, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, and thank you guys so much for all that you're doing. This Podcast is wonderful and so needed to continue the conversation. And you guys have really started that. So thanks for all you do.
0: Oh, you bet. Appreciate it. Wow. What a great conversation with Sarah. Really appreciate her time. Just so fun when you see folks kind of have both sides of the coin, understand that, that mainstream, you know, medical perspective, but also are able to integrate, you know, this Eastern perspective and this idea of, you know, addressing the autonomic nervous system and doing mindful movement. And, you know, really it's when we can speak both languages, I think that patients have the greatest benefit. So a huge thanks to Sarah. Make sure you check out Sacred Healing. Get a hold of Sarah if you have questions and follow ups. I'm sure she would love to hear from you. And thanks as always for tracking and us, Tim and I um, are always all over on social media, ispinstitute.com. Big thanks to International Spine and Pain Institute for continuing to be an amazing sponsor and supporter of the show. Thanks for Adrian Lowe always coming on and giving us their updates on the research and, and what those guys are up to. Really a wonderful, wonderful setup we have here. So thanks for being a part of the community. Take care, everybody. We'll see you on the next episode of Pain Reframed.
1: Pain Reframed is brought to you by our sponsor, the International Spine and Pain Institute. Check out their transformative pain science programming, at ispinstitute.com.